Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Performance Talks. We've got a great episode lined up this week as Steve and I are joined by husband and wife team of Kate and Stephen McMullen. I've known both of them for a long time. In fact, I had the great pleasure of working with Kate when I first moved to Canada about a decade ago. Now, we've both moved around a lot since then, but we always keep in touch and I've always enjoyed talking shop every time we get a chance to catch up. I would honestly love to have both of them on individually, and I think we probably will at some point in the future. But for this episode, we thought it would be fun to chat with them together, as they're not only trying to navigate their own careers in the industry, which can be hard enough, they're doing it together. Moving around to find work, starting their own business, and now navigating parenthood whilst working in elite sport. We kick off the show with individual chats about their backgrounds and current roles before moving on to discussions about their preparations for the delayed Olympics and Paralympics. We also dig into the challenge of both finding work in the same location and starting their own business. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and leave a rating as this helps us reach more people in the performance community. You can also find us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Perform Talks and Instagram, we are at Performance Talks. Now over to the discussion with Kate to start things off. All right. Well, first off, thanks so much for, for having us on today. Super excited to catch up and, and chat through all elements of SNC, sports science and the, and the world of sports. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm Kate. I, um, I guess, always started coaching and first involved in sport, coaching field hockey at, at 15 years old. And that kind of transpired into a career in sports science, strength and conditioning. Um, so my kind of brief background, I guess, I started in the health and fitness industry um, for about four years and then uh, was really valuable um, in regards to just getting understanding of what my coaching craft is and um, my uh, how I wanted to, to coach different people. And then I ended up going to kind of start a career in high performance sport about 10, 12 years ago. So in that interim, I did my bachelor's of science in exercise physiology. I did my master's of strength and master's of science in strength and conditioning at the University of Edinburgh. And then from there, I really started my uh, career in high performance sport. So really lucky to work in, I've worked as a sports scientist uh, at the heart of Midlothian Football Club. Uh, tennis Scotland, uh, Scottish squash, and then I became the lead IST for the female uh, Scottish football academy there in Edinburgh. And then I've also had since working, uh, currently I guess I'm now working with Wheelchair Basketball Canada um, as we prepare for the Paralympic Games this summer. And I also am working for, uh, I do work with Field Hockey Canada as their IST lead for the next gen program so that's a bit of my career I guess in a short blip <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah nice little nice little summary yeah. there yeah. <laughs> um yeah Stephen you want to share your story yeah of course uh, thanks for having us on guys uh, looking forward to a good conversation yeah per- perhaps just go into kind of my background uh, or, or even just myself I'm obviously from Ireland Northern Ireland I'm currently residing in Toronto Kate is obviously my, my other half my better half um, and obviously when I started my coaching career, it was actually coaching soccer at 16 years of age. Um, that kind of moved into during undergrad when I moved into the health and fitness industry. Uh, I worked there for four and a half years in the health and fitness industry as, as well as working abroad for that in that role. Um, I then moved to do my master's in the SNC. and uh, was around 2011. Um, and this is kind of the beginning of, the, kind of my professional development and strength and conditioning training. Um, from there, I went on to work at Sports Scotland Institute of Sport, Scottish Rugby Union, uh, Sport Institute Northern Ireland, uh, Rugby Canada, and, and obviously now I'm currently involved as the strengthening coach to the senior track cycling programs. And obviously, I'm, I'm also gearing towards the, the Olympic Games um, this summer as well. Nice. That's that's quite a pair of resumes you've got individually. And um, I'm loving the opportunity to talk to you together. I think you'd both be like individually great guests to have on. But we have the added uh, kind of unique dynamic that obviously you guys actually met 
while you were um, like studying and working in Scotland and are now married. And um, yeah, so I really want to be able to sort of talk a little bit about your individual roles and then also kind of bring in that kind of dynamic of how you guys have found navigating the industry and your careers together. Because we all know it's really hard. It's a hard industry to get by. You're not going to find a job at the end of the street. Um, you can't necessarily just pick, you know, your hometown and, and get a good job in high performance sports. You, you know, it's likely that we're going to have to move around. Um, yeah, well, we'll get onto that in a second. So I just wanted to ask, you know, a little bit about what your, your current role is. So Kate, obviously you've, you know, I know you from, from coaching back here in Vancouver. That's where we first met. Um, you've taken a couple of twists and turns and now in more of a sports science role. So give us a little bit more info on kind of what you're currently doing with wheelchair basketball. Yeah, definitely. So I, I would say when I, so when I moved to Scotland to do my master's is like, I would say I was a very much a strength and conditioning coach. Like that's kind of was my, my, my title. And that was, I was in the gym and I was coaching and I was doing the various um that that type of role and then when I went to Scotland um that's where I really kind of became more like sports science so it wasn't just in the gym coaching uh, and doing that it was also doing laboratory-based testing it was doing athlete monitoring uh GPS all the kind of different other things as well as conditioning on the pitch and strength training, but we had all these different, different layers. So that's kind of where I really kind of came up more of an umbrella approach in regards to my specific, specific role, I guess. Um, and then with, so that's kind of then transitioned to now my current, current role. So I, my major role actually is actually, I'm not in the gym at all. I'm actually all on court and I work really closely uh, with the coaches in regards to preparing the athletes for their on pitch or their on court um, training. So what that is, is working with the coaches on what they're doing on, on practice and what are the gaps that we need to work on from a physical perspective. So looking at different chair skills from the energy system development and how we can help that um, build that tolerance for when they get onto the game game so a lot of that it requires like heart rate monitoring that's kind of my main wearable technology that I use to kind of monitor and track the athletes to understand how they're how they're um, how they're developing from a conditioning standpoint um, I then do a lot of work with the uh, the monitoring so the health and wellness piece so obviously working with the uh, the Paralympic athletes, there's a lot of layers that we're um, having to deal with um, from the different, different different functions that they have. So wheelchair basketball is pretty pretty cool because it's a wide range of, of functions that the athletes have. And what I mean by that is that we have um, someone that has a spinal cord injury um, that is on the court to someone that can has maybe a, a catastrophic knee injury that has limited them from playing stand-up ball. So we have a really wide range of varieties. So it's kind of understanding um, how that how that affects uh, their ability to perform on, on the court. So it's kind of having to look at all those different perspectives. Um, but yeah, so it's working a lot with the coaches one-on-one um, to understand what they want to get out on the court. It's looking at heart rate data, it's looking at athlete monitoring, and then it's also doing additional like top-up conditioning sessions to prepare the athletes for competition would be kind of the main pillars of my current role yeah. in a roundabout nice. way. <laughs> and you obviously <laughs> I <got there> in <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah, so I mean it sounds like you've you've got your hands full there for sure. Um, mm-hmm. especially when you throw in like you mentioned the the added kind of layers of different levels of functionality with the athletes when you when you first joined the team um what kind of challenges did you face in the terms of like you know if you want to work in a you know in a pro football team for example like there's you know tons of literature out there and um, a lot of resources that you can go to but obviously Paralympic sport is often underfunded under-resourced under-researched how did you find that sort of step going into the sport yeah, it's a it's a really good question because you're you're spot on. Like the the yeah the research that is out there is is pretty limited in the Paralympic sport. I think actually like Canada is doing a really good job. There's some really good uh, PhD students that are studying um, and doing research on the Paralympic 
side of sport, which is which is which is great. But uh, for me, it was it's, it's finding um, whatever research was out there and doing my needs analysis of the sport. So understanding what all the demands are for wheelchair basketball was the first one. So understanding the actual sport of it, and and it's been a huge huge learning curve. Um, in regards to the different chair skills, the biomechanics of how to push a chair, how to get that, uh, how to get them faster, how they do all the different turns and the rotation, and then understanding the actual game itself. Like obviously, I, I know basketball, but there's a whole other element of the rules for wheelchair basketball. Um, so it's understanding that, and and for me, the biggest thing was yes, obviously the evidence-based research. Uh, but it was actually, I was really lucky to chat. We had a, a great team of medical staff from understanding the different disabilities and different functions of the athletes and really just picking their ear and chatting with them on the side of the court to understand uh, the different functions that each athlete has. Um, that was probably the key is just talking to the coaches, talking to the players, and then talking to the medical staff to really understand the anatomy and the physiology, combining it with the evidence-based research that is currently out there. But it was um, definitely a huge learning curve uh, for sure. But yeah, having a, a great team around you to be able to just ask questions and understand that you're new to the sport and just be a, a quick learner and being able to adapt pretty quickly was was key. But the great thing about Parasport is that you have to think outside the box a little bit. It's not going to be a routine. Uh, it's not going to be routine. And you just have to really have that factor that, yeah, okay, let's give this a go. Let's see if this will work. Um, because you just, and, and you, you do all your research prior to that, but it's sometimes you just, it's, yeah, just give it a, think outside the box and, and give it a go to see, yeah. if, see if it works. Um, so it's, it's been, it's, challenging but it's been pretty <laughs> enjoyable and rewarding <laughs> yeah that's cool i um i had a little bit of experience with uh with a para-athlete last year and found exactly that it was just like you know i'd come into a new training session it's like i've had a thought i feel like we might be able to try this and i really love the fact that um doug was an absolute pleasure to work with he's like yeah let's give it a go like let's let's yeah. try it and if it if it works great and if it doesn't no no one feels like there's any kind of i know in in another situation you might have pressure to make sure that like you, if you're bringing something to an athlete or a team they're like it has to work um otherwise they're gonna like either lose faith in you or they're not so willing to sort of constantly try all these new things as i found you know like i said working with with doug and um, from what you've said with para athletes they're kind of open to that and open to talking about these different things because we always talk about individualizing training for one athlete versus another well that again is taken to a whole new level with para athletes yeah i think what's also what was realization when we talk about like training load and and you know being able to um you know with gps you'll be able to understand how much distance covered how many sprints they've done in a, in a field-based sport right but in in para what we don't accustom for is okay they come and train in the daily training environment say it's they're doing two sessions. So they're doing two hours on court and then they'll do another session. So that's four hours. So out of the 24 hours of a day, we only see them for four hours. So there's 20 other days that they're looking at. And so when you're working with athletes that are in chairs, there's another additional train load that they're, they're like, they're pushing to go get their groceries. They're transferring from their chair to the car. Um, you know, all those kind of small intricate, like daily skills that could affect their training uh, environment on court that we had like that was one of the realizations for me that an athlete could come and they've got sore shoulders and I'm, I'm reflecting on what we've done that previous day and understand okay well what, what what could that have aggravated it oh well they've actually hurt their shoulder because they've reached back for their chair which is in the back seat of the car and they've overextended their arm which then is like and just another layer that you're like have to think about which is just yeah, been, yeah pretty yeah pretty fascinating to be able to do it. <laughs> yeah it's really interesting i'd actually um I'd, I'd almost love to do a whole episode just about the experiences of working with para sports because i know one of our pre previous guests tim um did some work with para athletes in malaysia and i think yeah. it would be a great one I, there's not enough um sort of people talking i think about those experiences and how rewarding that is and you know given the the difficulty that it can be getting you know working through a career in sports like you know there's this huge opportunity um there's lots of people out there that need 
teams that need support and, and things. And it's often something that, like say, is underfunded and overlooked a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, like I say, we, we could carry on talking about it for ages. I want to cut across to... Uh, I've, uh, I've already Steve. got like an entire page of questions just from that. <laughs> so, th- this one is going to go on forever, I think. Um, it is going to be a little bit confusing having two Steves on the show. So I'm going to do my best to, to say Stephen and Steve. But um, Stephen, give us a, a little um, more about your current role with um, Cycling Canada. Yeah, so obviously um, working transition coaches Cycling Canada is their track cycling programs. So for those who are not aware of track cycling, there's really two main disciplines in, in track cycling. One would be sprint, and the other one would be endurance. So two very different energy systems that we'd be working on here with regards to um, the sport. Um, I'm, I'm work, so I work with both those squads. Um, my role is mainly involved in the in the weight room for the most of the position that I have. Um, so obviously the key. Well, the key things for me is obviously strength and power development. Um, you know, obviously with that comes the importance of trying to injury reduce and, and manage um, injuries and niggles and things like that with the medical department. The big, the biggest piece is obviously trying to transfer, you know, and obviously trying to identify how strong is too strong and, 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 and that kind of relationship with the bike. So that's a really key uh, part for us is the transfer of gym-related qualities to, to the track and both disciplines as well. Um, and obviously, big big part is obviously interference effects. It's a very very physical capacity based sport. So obviously, we're trying to trying to train, you know, uh, you know, trying to maximally train different qualities at different times. So trying to you know balance training and training stress, training loads, and also avoid interference whenever we're pushing one quality over the other and things like that. Um, so that that's kind of like my main role. And then obviously, like monitoring and tracking. I spent a lot of time since so I first started the role challenging my bias as a coach. So challenging, you know, what, what is my program and biases in the gym? Because I'm really, I've got an opportunity now to really spend time in the weight room and really get into the nitty gritty of that. So I spent a lot of time challenging my own bias, but also really identifying how individuals respond to the weight room and, and, and who, who responds to the one type of training over another and, and dosage and things like that. So, so that's kind of, kind of my, my role. And obviously we're, we're all, gearing towards Tokyo now so obviously that's a big part of you know performing when it matters and that's the Olympic Games in 2021. Yeah and and I know that's something that you're both kind of gearing gearing towards um, the Olympics like how does that differ between both of you like obviously you know there's been a, a sort of and again, an extra complication with the, the Olympics and Paralympics being delayed. But how does that preparation, do you feel, kind of differ through, like we sort of mentioned with Parasports, perhaps not having as much money and, and things. Has that been more of a struggle or not? Like, how does that look for you guys? I think it's, I, I can take my perspective here. <laughs> um, I think like, and I look back at a year ago um, in regards to the preparation. So, um, you know, in Canada, you know, mid-March, um, we got locked down. Um, and so training completely stopped and the Olympics weren't canceled by then. It was just, you know, I think we were naive. I was naive. I was like, oh, it's only going to be a month. Nah, we'll be back. We'll be back at it. You know, like totally naive of this whole concept of this pandemic that's been going on. And so our, our initial was like, okay, what do we need to do? They can't train as a team. So it's a team sport, right? So that's a huge factor from a tactical and technical perspective, right? So they can't, like, and like Stephen, they can't just go on their, on their bikes outside and train and ride. We, we're at a completely different element. So my team, we're just trying to kind of get, okay, we just need to get something out there, think outside the box of what they can do from a physical, so home-based trim training. It, the weather was decent, so they could get in the chair and they could do some chair skills or some uh, some long-distance pushes, some sprints, some ramps, that sort of stuff. And then the Olympics were cancelled. And to me, honestly, I think it was almost a, a breath, of, a, a kind of relief a little bit because we were all like, okay, what are we going to do? We've got this month. We still got that's a lost training month. Potentially, we still got to keep going. We still got to train. We, we, we still got, we're still going to the Olympics. And um, then the Olympics were canceled. So I think from our team, it was like, okay, we've got a little bit of breathing room here to how are we going to navigate this new normal of being able to still prepare, um, still keep training, um, but a little bit more breathing room, 
in regards to that victim's postponed. Um, but it's definitely challenging. Like we're still, it's, um, I think for us, the biggest thing is trying to get competition when um, uh, you can't travel or there's a 14 day travel ban that we have to isolate. So you have to kind of weigh the risk versus the reward. Okay, so if we do go, go, if we go to this tournament, we'll have to isolate when we come back. So we lose 14 days of potential training. So is that, is that competition worth it? Um, or do we just try and get the tolerance and that, that training environment um, in our daily training environment? So that's kind of the biggest thing we're still trying to kind of figure out of what is the best way to prepare for, for the Olympics. And um, for us right now, it's, it's, it's camp-based. We have athletes coming in that feel comfortable coming in and training in our daily training environment in, in Toronto and trying to create as best as we can in preparation for, for the Olympics and to stimulate, you know, um, what being in uh, Tokyo for 14 days and having camps that are 14 days and, and understanding that. So it's, it's still, there's still a lot of unknowns to be perfectly honest, even though we're four or five months out and it's just every week we're trying to kind of say, well, okay, what are, where is our situation is at the moment and, and how can we best adapt um, going forward? So it's, I think most countries are probably in the same boat from a team perspective. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Again, it's interesting when you talk about that, like, um, you know, sort of weighing up the, the, what the competition would bring versus the sort of downsides of then having to, you know, isolate and all and everything um really interesting Stephen how's that affected you sort of obviously cycling is there are team events but it's also by its nature more of an individual sport like has that you know affected you in a similar way or has that been different sure and suppose that you know for your listeners that for those that don't know track cycling track cycling you need a you need a facility to perform in it it's an indoor cycle track so you need bricks and mortar to race uh, or a velodrome for, or a velodrome can be outside, but obviously uh, the one we train at is inside. So obviously totally, we are very lucky, first of all, that cycling, we can go outside and we can use the, our, the outdoors to train. Um, so when lockdown did happen, obviously the facility that we were training in full time was shut down for obvious reason. Uh, and you know, obviously when that happens, you, you go into, you know, OK, well, the games are still happening at this time. So how do we you know, navigate through this? So, um, so obviously outdoor cycling was a really big advantage, particularly for our endurance programs. Um, the, road, the, the, the sprint program did take also a benefit of that. We also cyclists can use an indoor uh piece of equipment for their bike that they can attach a rear wheel to, to a trainer and you can try, try and replicate you know sprint efforts on a trainer as well so our sprint team took advantage of you know training in their home with these trainers trying to replicate the demands of the track using the using the trainers so we are very very lucky we could do that um, obviously when we got locked down the gym obviously went along with that so we are very grateful to have um, squat stands and our sprint team was the is full-time in Milton and funnily, they all actually live together. Um, the, the, the girls and the guys live, live in separate homes. So there's really two homes. So I gave the, each house a squat stand and full uh, equipment of Lego bars and plates and, and boxes for step-ups and box squat and all those things. So we were actually really, we were very lucky for that program. We're really, really closely replicating what they could do, even when they were inside the facility that we used. Our endurance program athletes are a little bit different. They're, they went home, obviously, and they were a little bit more spread across the country. But obviously, they were the big part of their development is being on the bike. So they were able to, to train um, right through. And it was obviously that we got noticed that the games were being cancelled. And it was like, all of a sudden, OK, now we've got a year to, to keep developing. And, and as Kate said, I think for, I think for our programmes, we also said, this is great. We've got another year now to really develop. I think what's really interesting is here is there's there's been literally very few competition, um, particularly in cycling uh, in North America. There's been very many races that that we've been able to go to as a track program. Um, so that has its advantages and also disadvantages. But for us, one of the big one is is when you have no competition, you can really develop. So you you know whereas in in season qualification years for Olympic Games, you're competing minimal every three or four months if not more and there's places we might do six seven races in a space of six weeks so you know obviously we don't have those challenges of when should we push when should we pull 
Um, where do we do the bulk of our development in the season when we still have to get points to qualify for world championships, not even the Olympic Games, but also, uh, whereas this time we get developed. So I think for um, a lot of programs, it was really a blessed disguise to, to, and we try to take advantage of it as best we can. Um, obviously now the big challenge, as Kate alluded to, is, you know, how do you prepare for competition when there is, you know, very few competitions or competitions that you will travel for. So obviously we've tried to, you know, give our athletes, um, you know, simulated race and that training as part of um, ways to try and replicate it. Um, but yeah, that's probably the biggest challenge now is just, you know, we've had a couple of, ra- we've had one race there. It was supposed to happen, I think it was in April time um, and it's been formally cancelled now. So, you know, there's a few races that could still happen, but again, it's very uncertain. We've no idea what's going to happen. So, you know, um, you know, so we're, we're trying to na- navigate yeah. through that at the moment. It's obviously a lot of fun. I think I think that's a really interesting point you raised that um, I think is coming up a lot from like SNC coaches and performance staff generally is this kind of unique window of time to to actually get some real development. Obviously, like you said, you're normally planning everything around the the competitions and the travel schedule and everything else, and this is actually given people uh, a whole different training year to what their not regular training year would look like. So I think this uh, this year's games, I think are gonna be a really kind of unique case study in what a difference that that makes. Yeah, who, who dealt with who dealt with COVID best? <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, totally. but also across like looking at an, like an athlete's career, there are certain athletes that this could be a huge blessing for them. Like whether it's an older athlete who's just carrying niggles from one competition to another and they've actually had time to address it, or it's a younger athlete that's actually had more time to focus on on building up some of these physical qualities that will then lead to them sort of being better in the long run. Yeah, um, I think that's exactly, I think that's a really key point there for sure. I think that's spot on. Like a younger athlete has another year to crack the team. You know, yeah. that whereas if they were to go last summer, they probably wouldn't have had a look in, um, which is which is exciting from a yeah, performance staff perspective is, you know, we have a couple of athletes that could break our senior team from the next gen team. And it's it's now, OK, how can we bridge that gap for them from from an IST staff is OK, okay you have a shot here. This is awesome. We've got a year to try and, you know, you get to challenge a spot. Um, which is definitely a blessing in society, taking the positive of all the negative. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely a good show. <laughs> That's cool. Um, I'm, I'm interested to know, away completely from the from the physical, for, for both you guys and for the athletes, like how did you react to the fact that they were postponed for a year? It, you know, sort of psychologically, that, you know, the chance to go to an Olympics... And, and I haven't been to one, so I obviously got to go to, to Pyeongchang. It, it's a pinnacle of, of anyone's career, whether you're working in the industry or, you know, you're an athlete in the industry. Such an incredible high to then be told, oh, by the way, these aren't happening now. I'm just interested, for, you know, from you personally and also from the athletes, kind of what the psychological effects were. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good question, Steve. I mean, I, I mean, I couldn't speak on behalf of my athletes, but, you know, from my perspective, it was, you know, obviously it's been delayed for, you know, good reason. I think I see, you know, because it was, you know, when we go back and reminisce about April, May or March, April, it was definitely very quickly, like, ever, quickly expanding this, the COVID and became very, um, you know, changing thing all the time. Things were changing all the time. So I was quite... I think for me, I was a little bit relieved that I say that we weren't going to try and navigate games with COVID still aspiring the way it was at the rate it was internationally and globally. So I think relief came into, into that. Um, and then obviously, you know, you're getting that year. So I was, you know, obviously you have to almost like reset a little bit um, as a practitioner because, you know, we, we know that for the Olympics, for our track cycling, there's a two-year Olympic convocation period. And that's full, and that's full on. So, you know trying to manage energy levels, you know, trying to manage your, your workload um, to, so that you can still give your best for, for another year going. So um, definitely it took the time during that you know, lockdown to, to just, um, you know, just get a little bit of time, a little bit of break, take some holidays. 
and then looked to then build into the Olympics. And I was really excited, still am. I mean, obviously, we can't wait to, to, for them to happen. And we just trying to make, we're just really trying to make the most of every opportunity we've been given to, to, to develop as programs and as coaches and people. And so, yeah, but I think the main one for me was just making sure we, when that when lockdown happened, I just made sure I took some time off to just give myself a ch- chance to just reload. Um, going into the to another year of, of um, you know, development and training and, and preparation. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because so another layer to add, which I don't know if you guys would be aware of, but so um, in Paralympic sport, we have what's called a classification system. So in wheelchair basketball, you have a number of points that you can um, put on a, on a on the court, right? So you have different athletes that are class one, class 1.5, 2, 2.5, 3, 3.5, and all the way to 4, 4.5, and it's all the base of their function. So a higher functional athlete will be classed as a 4, 4, 5. Someone that has maybe a spinal classification would be lower, uh, would be a class one, right? And they all kind of make up a, a make up a, um, a lineup, right? So during this period in January, um, the IWF, which is the kind of International Wheelchair Basketball Federation and the International uh, Paralympic Committee, uh, were going through a reclassification process. So we not only had um, January, so we were going through that, then March hit, and we had the double whammy of, okay, COVID, Olympics being postponed, and then we also had this other layer of we don't know if we'll have all our athletes potentially with this reclassification process. So they wanted to align IPCs and IWS. So IWS classification has been around for a very long time, but um, and so they wanted to align IPC and I International Paralympic Committee and International Wheelchair Basketball Committee together and make sure that all the athletes were aligned and, and it was a fair game. So there was a very other added layer, which is actually was more stressful from our organization because we had qualified for the Paralympics. So it, how it works with North America is that at the Pan Am Games, um, women won gold at the Pan Am Games, men won silver. So we had a birth to the Paralympic Games. So we knew that we were going to the Games. There wasn't an uncertainty where we had to qualify or whatnot. So it was just kind of, as Stephen said, a reset period um, to just now kind of navigate this unknown. But the bigger, bigger issue was actually this reclassification period which really added and when I look back was highly stressful for our athletes and our team because we just didn't know we you know we hoped that our athletes would get through but we weren't we weren't 100% sure luckily um, we've only had one athlete that didn't get um, reclassified um, so we're really quite lucky compared to other countries so that was a really big big thing for us it was more stressful with that piece because we had already qualified for the Paralympics. Um, but I know for us, just I think it's been, yes, reset, but there's also been a little bit of frustration as well. Um, because we've been our daily training environment, we haven't, we've been quite restricted because we are a more vulnerable sector um, in regards to contact. So we've been doing a lot of individual skills um, and shooting and that stuff. But when you get into contact with wheelchair basketball, it's a big difference. <laughs> um, and so having, having to work with the coaches of what we can do from a training perspective, so we're not going so far behind, but there's, you know, it's frustration came across as like, okay, how many different drills can we kind of come up with, which is socially distanced and we can't share a ball where <laughs> basketball is about passing and moving and we can't do that. You have one ball, one player, one chair, one net. Um, so that was probably... Uh, yeah frustrations of trying to and still keep positive though like yeah we've got this end goal that we're trying to achieve everything's just pushed back but we're restricted um so it was definitely it's definitely challenging and I think now we're in a point where we are able to play like I think it was a couple months ago where we were able to get that contact now always remember that practice we were at a training camp and I had the heart rate all the heart rate data in front of me and it's first contact. So it's, and the guys are just, they're wanting to go for it. It's been like nine months before they could hit hard and hit contact. 
and I should show you, I should show you a picture, but all the heart rate was like in red. They were in their zone five. They were just going for it. Like, <laughs> nothing can train you for <clears throat> all the physical training that you do off, off court or on the court individually. Nothing can train you for that contact that you feel with your going up against another player. Um, so once they did that, it was, you know, now we're able to get back to it, but those first months were just, yes, navigating the unknown and, and being trying to be positive, I think is yeah. the best thing as a, as a, as a support staff to the athletes and the coaches is being a sounding board, uh, being creative, being open to listening to what, how can we navigate it? Cause it's all new. Like, you know, no one's ever gone through this before and everyone's trying to navigate it as best they, as best they can. But yeah, um, yeah it's definitely was, been challenging. It hasn't been easy. <laughs> was that, was that reclassification originally scheduled to happen the year after the games? Oh gosh. Um, yeah, this would be another topic. Cause I, I know <laughs> a little bit of like, I think there was a little bit of politics and back and forth between the two organizations of, of, of what it all all happens but it, yeah politics in sport never yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i'm trying to be professional but it's uh yeah. <laughs> it wasn't uh it wasn't ideal at the time especially yeah. that close to tokyo um i know there was a lot of uproar in regards to the timing of it yeah um but it's yeah it was not cool it's above my oh. pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, like, again, I, I feel like there's so much that we could talk about with, with both of you. And I said at the beginning, like, you'd have, I would have loved to have done a show, like, individually with each of you. Um, but one of the unique things for, you know, for having you guys on together is to be able to talk about how, like, you've been able to navigate this together. Um, so, like, thinking back to your kind of, you know, earlier you gave us a bit of your background and your stories. Um, what's it been like trying to navigate this life in performance together from, you know, the current, you know, situation with both COVID and, you know, again, add another layer to that. You guys have just started a family uh, and kind of all that. Like, let's, let's sort of dive into that topic a little bit. We didn't make it easy for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um. Well, I'll start off. I think it, it, it is obviously unique and I think um, there's huge benefits to it. I think for me, it's like I have my biggest supporter in my back pocket, but I also have my biggest critique as well. Um, you know, you can really be honest about what you're discussing and um, but then you also have the biggest support system in the world and understanding kind of what you're going through day in and day out. Um, uh, what worries me is that sounds like mine and Simon's relationship. But I think it's, it's, it's neat to have like, you know, obviously as coaches, we love to talk shop, right? Like I know Simon, whenever I came back from Scotland and we went to the pub and we would just, you know, we would be in our own world having, having a conversation and the rest of our, our friends were like, are they still talking about SNC and sports science and performance? But it is idea to, it's just great to have someone that you can bounce your ideas off of um, and have, have that, have that piece. And I think too, it's also kind of understanding each other of what our, our day-to-day -day life looks like. And, and, you know, if you have to go and, and do a session, you know, it's, and, push back go into the movies or something normal you under you understand that right it's that's with the nature of of working in that performance sport it's it's always on the go it's it's intense and having that understanding that we all both understand that that kind of lifestyle um i think too being in this industry um networking is a huge huge part of this industry right like i see jobs people get jobs that haven't been advertised and you know that's because they've they've known someone and I think a benefit obviously of having two people in the industry is we both have kind of ears on the ground of kind of what what the movements are and um, I'll tell you a funny story so uh, earlier on in our relationship we just kind of barely knew so Stephen had just got a job I did my master's year 
after Stephen. So Stephen had done it the year before and we had like a crossover where we, we met. And uh, he got a job with the Scottish Institute of Sport and he was working for, um, he was doing some work with some high performance tennis players at a private boys school. And they were all very, like they were going to the junior Grand Slams and ITFs and stuff like that. So they were a good caliber of tennis players. And I, I took over that job from him. <laughs> And he moved on. So I got that. So that's kind of how we kind of like kindled our relationship. How, how much of the programming did you change when I don't want to cause a domestic here? Oh, well. but... <laughs> 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 I mean, I do want to cause a domestic, but then, and then, so then moving on a year later, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like after my master's degree, you know, you get your master's to SNC, you have a taste of, of this, high performance and this kind of next level of education and understanding um and so I was after I graduated I was coming going come back to Canada and we were fairly new had just gone on a couple of dates you know and I'm sitting at the airport on my flight back to Canada um in December thinking okay, I might come back might not I'll see what my options are moving back to Canada and I get an email from Stephen there's a position for working at the hearts of Midlothian Academy that he's he's forward on to me right hasn't been published he's just forward on to it from his network and I was like right okay I'm gonna I'll apply for it I you know quite quite like Stephen okay I'm gonna apply for it see how it, how it goes I could do a two in two in one thing he's shaking his head yeah. <laughs> um and then I was able to I got the job and I was like okay this is an opportunity for me to get a uh, work in a professional uh environment with a, a professional football club working with the academy sector within football um and that really kind of you know jumped my career in, in that kind of start of working in that professional high performance environment but I wouldn't have gotten that step without you know obviously dating Stephen and just having our ears on the ground in regards to he had through his network this job came through the um, the, uh, actually my mentor at the time Neil, Neil Gibson was the one that said pushed it out saying hey we're looking for someone to do this this part-time academy job do you have anyone interest and that's how it kind of came about so it's been that network nice. has been yeah a, a different yeah that's cool and obviously <laughs> that that helped you in terms of like you were planning on moving back to Canada that helped sort of take you back to Scotland yeah when when you guys actually decided to make the move together and come back to Canada I know you moved to the west coast um did your network then help sort of get you both jobs or how, how did that move come about <laughs> that was all Stephen getting that job all right. yeah. <laughs> I didn't help in any way <laughs> I just wanted to move back home <laughs> It's, fu it's funny enough. because it's funny because I remember that I remember the job at Rugby Canada. I remember applying for it. I remember like I was I was we were living apart at this time, and uh, I said to Kia, I says, "Oh, there's a job up at Rugby Canada. Did you see that come through?" He's like, "Oh yeah, I seen it, but I didn't think you'd be interested in it." And this, <laughs> is, and this, and this is this is so funny. It was so funny. It's like no, no, I'm exceptionally interested in this role, and actually the deadline was at like six hours time. Ooh, I was I a really, it. and I remember doing an all nighter to get like to get a really good. Um, resume put together and stuff but uh yeah that that one i will say that one was all was all uh through just the general class like general you apply yeah. for the job interviewing several times and then getting it that way yeah yeah and how did that like how did that then go when you when you got that job and you you know you decided to move back to the west coast of canada how was that like uh, you know at that point obviously you you decided to move over together and you've subsequently moved to Toronto now. So like, what was that like kind of navigating those moves and different career moves, sort of doing that together? Do you want to take that one, Stephen? <laughs> <laughs> he's going yeah, sure. to yeah. more, more or less trouble. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting one, eh? Like, um, you know, obviously, when, when generally, like, when generally whenever one of us see a job that we're interested in, Jim will have a little discussion about it and, and, you know, obviously I said to Kate about the, the job at Rugby Canada at that time, and she said, definitely, like, let's go for it, let's see what happens. And then obviously as a job comes through and you start having discussions and then contracts, you know, start being put on the table, then it's obviously a great discussion happens. But we always try to, I like to think, Kate, that we generally, we generally make the decisions together. Yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's usually People like these, are, you know. 
like Lisa, a the, pro and con list, I would say. It was like Jenny, all Jenny, the yeah. of what the job is from what we're currently doing, uh, both of us career-wise, where we're very open and honest in what our aspirations and our goals are and, and what we think our next steps is career-wise. So whenever we get a move like moving to moving to back to Canada, it was pro, pros and pros and cons of what my career was at that point, where did I want to take it versus what Stephen's career was is a really good job for him. And we just it's all about that give and take a little bit in especially being both in that in that um in that position and it's being a little bit okay this is this is Steven's time to shine here okay let's I'm going to support him or vice versa this is Kate really good opportunity for Kate okay let's I'm going to support her her so it's that give and take a little bit and just that again pros and cons list and just really being open and honest with what where we want to go with each of our career I took over from yeah. you sorry Stephen. I told you that's fine <laughs> no, you, you got good you got great points there you definitely no, it's, it's Totally, right. and even even if the job, like, you know, that job in this case, the two scenarios you gave about going to Victoria and Toronto, those jobs were being offered to myself. But when we were when we just when we were discussing them, we always looked, what well, how can this benefit Kate as well? And you know, obviously, you know, Kate's doing exceptionally well, picking up you know roles, and both of those cities um, ha after having moved there. So um, yeah, it's it's definitely has it definitely has some. We've had some good discussions about about um, how we navigate, but that's kind of how we do it, really. Yeah. Let me ask something, and I'm just really interested in this because I'm somebody who's incredibly career driven, and have put lots and lots of things on the back burner fairly publicly, and I've talked about them on the podcast before. Um, moved five thousand miles around the world for for work and stuff. I know I know other S and C coaches who love being an snc coach but they're also you know they have a young family or whatever it is and they have other things to consider and, and and i think all of that plays into the roles that you look for when it's just you i think like that point there Stephen, you said like so you get a job in toronto so you guys talk about it so you move over to toronto and now kate you have to find a job in toronto that that then becomes okay so so what jobs are available rather than what do i want to work in and i guess the the roundabout point i'm trying to make is did you ever think you'd work in a in paralympics or b in basketball and and it has it kind of been a blessing in disguise to be like well listen i needed a job this job came up it fit, it fitted in with my philosophy and my personality and whatever but i probably wouldn't have gone for it otherwise 100 yeah, I think that's it is it was a blessing in disguise that that job job came up and and well, <laughs> it did take me a while to move out to Toronto. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm a West Coast girl through and through. But uh, I mean, that that's the thing like, just, you know, uh, like when Stephen first moved over to Victoria, like I moved, I didn't, I moved, uh, I think it was I think two months after him. Yeah. Um, and then same with same with Toronto. So we, we're used to doing this distance as well. Um, now, obviously, we have a little a son, so that's going to be a little bit different. But initially, when we were just a couple, um, you know, he would, Stephen moved out. I mean, we were just married and Stephen moved out two weeks later to start this job. I didn't move out until six months later, six, seven yeah, months later. Yeah, it's probably longer. I think it was like nine longer months. Either. Like it took Nine-mom's me a while. Six to get up but we we know that our relationship is strong we know that like what we're we're so passionate about this this industry and we support each other in each his career and the opportunity for Stephen to work with uh track cycling a it's his sport he's a cyclist himself and I just fully supported that and we were obviously completely okay with me coming out later until a job came up so I was still doing work in Victoria and Vancouver and still keeping up with my job there at that current time. And I was just, we were just waiting and holding out until an opportunity came. And when the opportunity came to work with wheelchair basketball, I was like, yeah, this is a good opportunity. I can move to Toronto. I can start still for me personally in a career of sports science, strength and conditioning. So I still going in my direction as well, but it's just, we took, you know, it took me six, seven months to get out there. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's yeah. it's funny because i i that was similar for me when you know i'd only just um got married and the job in china came up and you know uh, uh we actually ended up having to cancel our honeymoon 
<laughs> just have, you just have four years. I was like, sorry, we'll uh, we'll we'll have to do that some other time. So um, yeah, no, I know I obviously know what that what that's like in uh, in sport. But Kate, you also use some of that time to help like get your business established, and that's another thing that you know. I, I wanted to touch on is you guys uh, have obviously obviously got your own your own business going and I think um, it's something we've spoken to a few other people about is like the pandemic has really exposed how fragile the industry is and like for a lot of people even if you've got a full-time position you know that's not necessarily guaranteed it's not a rock solid job um and so that need for a sort of side hustle is really really important like was that you know what what was the motivation for starting the the job the you know starting the business and was that a consideration in you know the two of you kind of navigating this career path together was was starting your own business a kind of a part of that discussion yeah i'll, I'll take i'll take this one in <laughs> uh, it, it definitely was part of it, you know. Give us a lot. Give us another option to to, you know. I will say when you're moving. Oh, sorry, Stephen's just jumped up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, do you want to jump in there? <laughs> oh, can you hear me? Can you hear yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, you're back in the room. Right. What did you get there? Sorry. Guys, my internet connection, nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was just, I've just, sorry, I'll just go back to the question I was asking about, you know, starting a business, was it, you know, a consideration to help navigate a, a career, two careers in, in high performance sport? And of course it was, absolutely. Like, um, as you've as you kind of got an impression, we have moved frequently. Um, so like obviously having a secondary source of income does have a lot of advantages Whenever you do need to initially locate, so relocate. So we did start our business in in, in twenty eighteen, but uh, besides from that, actually the career navigation really what it came from was actually I really wanted to get back in the community again. I really wanted to start reaching out and get involved in the community. I'd spent many years in high performance sport, but I also knew there was a there was a good market there also in the community, and I'm, I, I I it was a way to try and grow a community because I obviously when I when I move everywhere I don't I'm not necessarily from those towns so I just want to get out in the community and, and offer my services and we all know there's many good athletes that, that are not covered by funding or you know even just your weekend warriors some incredible people you'll meet I've met I've been very lucky to work with some fascinating athletes and actually one of the very first ones I started working with in this comp this comp my company was a track cyclist at six years of age he was training for the world championships we was training to go and become a world champion. And I thought that was such a great, great, we really enjoyed our time working together on, on that project. So, you know, that, that was one of the things as well as get out of the community. And then obviously we mentioned about safety social income. At that time we were saving for a wedding and obviously city living isn't cheap. So, you know, <laughs> no. we need to, you know, you do need, you know, it's very common now, regardless of what industry you're in, it's very common now young people are now entrepreneurs as well. Um, and and we, we've seen this as a real advantage for, for lots of reasons. Um, and then lastly, actually opportunities, because, you know, as you've got an impression, though, from my own job at the moment, it's very practitioner-based, but having a business, you develop different skills. You also get the, the, the chance to try and develop different skills, you know, business skills, entrepreneurship, sales customer relations, all those really key qualities that can actually help you in your day-to-day -day and performance sport. Some of the skills I've developed in health and fitness and also business development uh, most recently have really helped me, you know, on, on softer skills of my role and working with people. And I think that's offered a lot of really good opportunities for us. And because you're a business, there's really no limitation there's, you're not bounded by, you're only bounded by what you can actually do or produce or, or commit to. There's unlimited potential of a business. And that's the way I also see it as well. That's really cool. It's, it's an interesting point you raise there. Because again, it's something else that we've kind of touched on um, a little bit, I think, on a couple of other episodes is there's a, there's a tendency for practitioners to constantly want to go deeper within their own field. Um, but not actually expand and look at um, sort of education or expanding their skill set skill sets 
um, horizontally. I can't remember, Steve, who was it that described that horizontal versus vertical? Yeah, it was a great way of describing it was like, you can go with vertical learning where you're just layering on more depth of knowledge, which is great and very useful, but you also need to look horizontally at like your breadth of knowledge. And I think that's a really interesting skill set that you, that you mentioned there. I think it's um I think it's a really interesting point because I I see just talking to practitioners in Canada and in the high performance realm is is that um, having those different skill sets so it's not just uh, people aren't just hiring like a strength and conditioning coach if you can bring something else to the table so whether it be coaching so like for example uh, yeah coaching sports science snc um athletic therapy there's all these different added on things that if whatever if you're going for a job what else can you bring are you just bringing snc or are, can you, are you more employable by okay you own a business so you have leadership you have maybe leadership skills or you have administration skills you have understand you know all those different skill sets that make you potentially more employable down, down the line and I feel like Canada is kind of shifting a little bit in regards to um, not just having what else can you bring to the table not just yeah. not just coach being able to supplement um, different resources from yeah sports science coaching leadership whatever it might be yeah abs- absolutely I think I think you know it's really tough because like we this whole episode obviously we're talking more about olympic and paralympic sports and how you know a lot of people think of sports and they're like oh my god these athletes earn so much money and these teams have so much money but when you're talking about olympic and paralympic sports is funding is tight and it's a big part of the consideration for any organization so i think you're absolutely dead right kate that like when they're looking to hire if they can get you know someone who has a broader range of skills that's going to help that team or that organization so much more um, than you know someone with a very narrow but you know relatively deep skill set yeah. yeah definitely I, I think it just elevates you as a practitioner as well doesn't it yeah. you know more more and more now you know people talk about high performance models and are functioning as a high performance team and and multidisciplinary teams and all those words and i think that the the more bows you have you know to in in your skill set you like you say you pick up things if you have to become a salesperson because you're trying to sell your product you, you know whether that's yourself or or whatever business it is right. that you have um well then when you come around to trying to convince an athlete to do an exercise or training program that they maybe is new to them or they don't want to do you've developed the whole skill set of selling this to somebody when you don't even know you've developed that so it's such an important skill i think or such an important point to to have or be more well-rounded absolutely yeah also brings up like steve you and i were chatting the other day and um you were talking about wanting to learn more from a kind of medical background and and therapy background because it just you know, again, that broader skill set helps those conversations with other practitioners. It helps those conversations with with coaches. You're trying to, you know, you're trying to translate information to to another practitioner or another, um, you know, person within the organization. It just really helps that communication. Yeah, yeah. definitely the understanding. I think too, like for me, para, like being able to have a physio or a therapist that like I understand the anatomy and and. Um, the physiology for sure but uh, then being able to have those deeper conversations of okay how did the spinal let's take spinal cord injury because that's something that I wasn't I wasn't really ever exposed to and understanding okay how does that spinal cord affect the different various functions um, that then will hopefully relate to how I can then program for, for them but definitely having an understanding of that it just as you say Steve allows that deeper deeper conversations to have which I think is really important. Listen, um, before we wrap up, you give Simon one job and he doesn't do it. Mentors. <laughs> we, just, we start every podcast the same, which is, you know, we're very, um, you know, we think a lot about mentorships and, and certainly for myself, like I would never, ever have gotten to the positions I've gotten to without having some incredible people you know, backing me and, and helping me along the way. And, and we definitely like to take an opportunity during the pod to ask everyone that comes on about, you know, just, just give a bit of a nod to any mentors they've got. So um, 
Steve, I'll hand over to you as my my namesake. Who would you uh, who would you kind of want to highlight? Yeah, I think I th there's so many people. Eh? I think mentorship. I've never um, really came across that word too often. It was usually internship is what you hear a lot. Of. Mentorship's <laughs> different, but mentorship is probably just more of a friendship. I, I from my experiences, you know, students that I've studied with, for colleagues at work, generally just chatting through things, getting their perspective. You know, just having someone to always just you know speak to, brainstorm with. So there's quite there's actually quite a lot. Um, you know, people that have really helped shape my way of thinking and and um, my also my also development I suppose just you know most recently you've know, been very fortunate with the head coaches at track cycling all been exceptional people to work with and also my line manager at canadian sport institute they, they would have been the main ones for me at this current moment but there's been so many i, I wouldn't want to you know miss anyone <laughs> miss anyone <laughs> I, do, I do think that's a good point i'm, I'm one of the one of the things I think is great about mentorship is that it's a very informal learning style. So any, anyone could be a mentor. And, and this was something I was trying to bring into a, um, like a, a previous job was like, you, you know, it's not about age or necessarily experience. It's like you can learn from each other. So in one situation, one person might be the mentor and the other person, the mentee, but flip that situation, totally. change that situation. And that relationship flips. Um, so yeah, really interesting. Uh, Kate, Even, is there anyone that you want to give a, a shout out to? Yeah, I would say, I definitely agree. That it's like, even Simon and we work together, like the conversations that we have and you're bouncing ideas off each other. I think it's a really key point that you're always, you're always constantly learning, which I love about this field is that there's never, there's never a ceiling um, and you're always learning. But I would say for me, there's like two, Two people I, I really kind of changed my perspective um, and really kind of uh, helped me navigate. And, and that was when I was at university. Um, I was really fortunate enough to get play field hockey and get a full scholarship to play down in the NCAA um, Division One team. And I had never done, I mean, it sounds really weird, but I never done strength and conditioning in high school. Like it was a foreign thing. Um, I just played sport, played hockey and was, you know, um, and it wasn't until I went down to the Division One NCAA, and strength and conditioning obviously is a huge part, it's a huge part of the program. And I, my first and second year, I was like, "What the heck is this? Like, I don't need strength and conditioning. I'm playing on the field. I'm getting time. I don't really understand. This is just making me sore." Um, and I got a coach. His name is Toby Jacoby, and he came in in my third year, and he flipped the switch for me in regards to what we were doing in the gym and that transferability on the pitch and just the way he coached, he got me, he got me, he got, I bought into what he was doing and I actually started to see the benefits as an athlete myself of how strength and conditioning definitely impacted my game in my last two years of university. I was stronger on the ball. I wasn't getting as injured. I was getting faster and I was available to play those last two seasons without any little niggles. Um, and that for me was a switch that then transferred into me. Oh, I really like how I was able to do something off pitch to then make me a better athlete on pitch. Could I potentially do this? as a career. So that was kind of like my first realization. And then my second probably one was a gentleman called Neil Gibson, who was uh, my mentor out in Scotland. And he was um, the director of performance services um, at Harriet Watt University, now Orium, which is based up in, in Scotland. And he was the one that kind of really impacted the evidence-based research. So I had been in the health and fitness industry prior to me going to do my master's. And he was the one that really made the click of, okay, what you're doing as a practitioner, can you support it with evidence base uh, or, or, and the rationales behind why you're always doing something? You're not just doing it because you've seen it on a YouTube video or it looks, it looks good. There's actual scientific evidence to supplement what you're doing. And that's really kind of changed my direction in that regards to the applied science perspective because I had never had that before going to do my master's degree um, and that kind of changed things up and he was the kind of the one that elemented the sports science side of things it was like yes you can be an you're an applied sports scientist you're an applied practitioner where you utilize 
the strength training, the um, the conditioning, but then also the athlete monitoring, the training load, the laboratory-based testing, the field-based testing, and you create more of an umbrella practitioner to be able to offer those services. So those would be like the the two the two people, and I would say, yeah. And then I also like I also coach field hockey as well. Um, so I love field hockey. It's been my passion and my 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 sport, and I love working with it. Um, so another probably shout out I would give would be to Jen Jen Began, who is um, a high performance field hockey coach that's working with the next gen, and she's just I've been her assistant coach, and I've just learned a lot about working with her um, as a coach, but then how I can apply my applied practitioner sports science to be able to support um, the coaches and really help me navigate that piece when working with coaches and how I can help support them with their specific training um, on the field of play. So those would be the, my top three. But as Stephen says, I, I don't want to miss anyone out, but those would be my top three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's starting to sound like an awards <laughs> show of uh, <laughs> of thank yous for like, no, that's, a, that's awesome. And it's, it's nice to have like some like different pivotal moments that have like have really helped shape you um that's cool i think we're gonna uh, probably try and round it up there have you guys got your social media handles you want to share those with everyone so where can people reach you go for it steven <laughs> okay yeah when, when, I'm on, when i'm on social media you'll find me on coach at coach eight mullen uh so i'm usually on uh, instagram and, and twitter is my main ones so, yeah cool and it's not full of cat photos i hope it's uh <laughs> hey, hey nothing wrong with an instagram full of cat photos my friend <laughs> and uh, kate you have any yeah so yeah so uh instagram and, and twitter is uh just coach kp10 um and also like our business if you're interested in our business is just at athletes excel um so we do post uh kind of more training uh, modalities, uh, hints and tips on there if you're interested in that. Um, if you're interested in our, our daily lives, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's cool. There's <laughs> now gonna be flooded with baby pictures. Um. <laughs> I, I try to limit it. I'm trying to be, I'm not trying to overwhelm people with our uh, new it's, book. <laughs> it's good, he, he's, a cute, he's a cute kid for sure. So yeah, keep, keep the pictures. He's going to be our long-term athletic development. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like oh, wow. What a, what a household. A case study. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A case study. yeah. For you. For sure. It's going to be our yeah. Year. We'll have to, we'll have to have periodic updates on how that's, uh, how that's going. 18 year paradise plan coming up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Love it. And a nice, nice little plug to have got in there at the end yeah, for the for your business. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, thank thanks so much for for coming on and and coming on together. Like I said, I'd um, probably love to have had individual conversations, but I think that was just such a unique um, discussion to be able to have with both of you together. So, really appreciate you giving up time at the weekend um, to chat to us. Thanks, guys. Yeah, appreciate it so much, guys. Absolutely incredible content, and and like so, I said, I think we're gonna have to book you guys both in for uh, for individual ones as well because I have like an entire notepad full of full of questions so yeah let's let's get you guys booked in later down the line especially as we build up to the olympics as well so that'd be that'd be super for sure cool. yeah yeah for sure well, cool. thanks, so oh, much, thanks for having us yeah, yeah. and uh, keep up the good work guys eh? pleasure guys thanks so much